Hello everybody, how are you all doing either today or tonight whenever you are listening to this? This is the Everything Cavaliers podcast hosted by James Lockery. You can find me on Twitter at James underscore Lockery 7. And you can also follow the podcast at underscore Everything Cavs on Twitter. So, the Cleveland Cavaliers are playing the Dallas Mavericks on February 2nd, 2019, and we had a we had a Woj bomb drop on January 31st uh, with involving the Mavericks. They traded Dennis Smith Jr., Wesley Wesley Matthews, excuse me, um, DeAndre Jordan and two first-round picks to the New York Knicks for Chris Depps Porzingis. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr., Courtney Lee, and Trey Burke. Now, I'm not going to dive too much into this trade because, I mean, it's not really really Cavs-related. But overall, I think the Mavericks won the trade because I have belief that Chris Stapps will return to form and also the Knicks' ineptitude to be a well-run franchise ever since I've been alive. I. I don't think they'll be able to reel in two max players like they're hoping to. They've been trying to do that for the longest time now, and I just don't think they'll be able to. So going into the Mavericks game, a couple keys that I I wrote down. The Mavericks are just as bad on the road as the Cavs are. They have a 5-21 record, and with the trade going on, there's a lot of moving parts. The Mavericks' depth took a pretty big hit because they don't have Courtney Lee, obviously Chris Stapps, or Tim Hardaway Jr. playing. I'm not 100% sure about Trey Burke, but I don't think he'll really crack the rotation anyways. So the Mavericks will be pretty shorthanded, and on the road they tend to you know, lose focus and not be as engaged. I, you know, I didn't know that until I talked to my my good friend Brian Zillum of the Blue Hardwood podcast. Shout out to him. But yeah, they just kind of, you know, don't pay attention to details when they're on the road. And in general, they didn't have a lot of wing depth to begin with. And now it's even thinner that they lost uh, Wesley Matthews. Uh, the Cavs have to defend the three-point line well. Um, the Mavs shoot the fourth most threes per game. And especially with Luka Doncic, um, you know, pulling the strings on the offense. They're going to get open shots. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. It's you have to try and run the Mavericks off the three point line and make them play in the mid range. Because once you do that, once you start get, once you make them start moving the ball, um, they are they do have the fourth lowest assist to turnover ratio. So that means they're a high turnover team and. You know, the Cavs could really capitalize on that. They have to get extra points out of it because of the lack of offensive ability on this team. We all know it. We've seen it for 52 games now. The offense, it's tough. It's hard to watch, especially because they try and get into the meta of the NBA with the whole pick and roll, but they aren't a good pick and roll team because they don't have the talent to run it properly. It's just it's just an entire mess, so they have to take advantage of the extra possessions that the Mavericks are going to inevitably give them. Um, the Mavericks are a low assist team statistically as well. So what you have to do is, you know, you have to try and make the ball stick in their hands. Um, 
their real their real playmaker is Luca, and that's about it. Especially without Den Smith Jr. Now he is now a Nick. Um, I think Harrison Barnes. He's their second best playmaker, and I'll let him take all the shots. I'll let him hand the ball as much as he wants because, one, I'm not a Harrison Barnes guy, and I don't think much of the Mavericks fan base is too fond of him either. And another key to this game, and I don't, you know, I don't like saying this. I love the guy; he's an absolute legend. But when Dirk's on the floor, you have to take advantage of it, especially on the defensive end. He is probably the slowest moving player in the NBA. It's he's running with cement blocks on his feet, and he has eighty year old knees. It's he just doesn't move well anymore. He never did to begin with, but it's even worse now. You have to get him in pick and roll situations, and I I know I just said the Cavs don't play the pick and roll well, but he moves so poorly that the Cavs are gonna get open shots if you involve him in that pick and roll. And you know, in the trade that they made with the Knicks, the they sent out DeAndre Jordan as well, who is a shot blocker. He's a good shot blocker. And other than him, they don't really have much. Maxi Kleiber is okay, but he's not DeAndre Jordan when it comes to protecting the paint. So I think the Cavs are going to have the ability to dominate the paint in this game. And it's all dependent on them. If they decide to attack or they settle for long twos like they have the entire year. Now shifting to the offensive end a little bit, they have to keep the flow going. The ball has to be on a rope. It can't can't stick. They can't run these half-hearted pick and rolls that I see Colin Sexton do three or four times a game. They try and get a switch, but just nobody moves, so the spacing is off. And there's six seconds left, and someone has to create and throw up a contested garbage shot that most likely doesn't go in. Um, but the biggest key to this game, in my humble opinion, is when Luka Doncic is off the floor, you have to blow the Mavericks off the floor because other than him, who else is going to generate that offense for him, especially without Dennis Smith Jr. Now it's, I, I don't know who's going to create for him. And that's, that works in the Cavs favor. You really have to take advantage of that. And I know Luca, he sat out against the Pistons due to a sore ankle. So they may, you know, limit his minutes a little bit more. So that gives you even more of a chance to capitalize on that and grow your lead before he does come back in because I don't imagine if he plays a good game I don't imagine the Cavs winning because he is so amazing on the offensive end just being able to pick out passes that really only a handful of players in the NBA can he's so just so established and so fine-tuned as a 19 year old it's we've never really seen it before because he was a EuroLeague MVP. Now we're going to rotate and shift gears a little bit into more of the individual Cavaliers. We're going to talk about pretty much the two most important players on this team, you know, from the start of the season and even now. Everyone's favorite Cavalier, y'all know him, you all love him, Jetty Osmond. Over the last four games, he's he's busted the barn doors down. I don't know where, where it's come from, but I saw from Andrew Bailey on Twitter is averaging 24.3 points per game, 6.3 rebounds per game, 3.8 assists per game, 3.8 threes made per game, 1.5 steals per game. And I don't know where this came from, and I'd like to know whatever he's eating before the game, he better keep eating it. Wherever this came from, it needs to continue. I think we all want Jetty to be successful, and we all want him to be a part of this team's 
long-term blueprint just because he's such a lighthearted and fun person off the court. I don't think anybody in the NBA dislikes Jetty Osman. So what I've noticed over the last over his surgence in the last four games, he's playing with a lot more confidence. He's not hesitating to take open shots or even make decisions. He's trusting his eyes more, and that's really leading to success on the offensive end. Um, and he's not forcing shots like he used to, especially on the fast break. It'd be a you know they wouldn't have numbers, and he'd try and force in a layup, and just not it just wouldn't be there. And I'm glad that the game is really starting to slow down for him. At least that's what it seems like. You know, in his second year, he's getting obviously the keys to the car. Essentially, him and Colin Sexton are the futures of this franchise. And he, I think he's the most important player to this because I think he has, I think he has more potential than Colin Sexton, to be honest with you. He would have three 30 point games over the last four. If he, A, finished a little bit better at the rim and made his free throws, I mean, oh my God. He had, one of the games he had 29 points, but he was two of seven from the free throw line. I just, I don't know how NBA players can be poor free throw shooters, but that is another topic for another video. I'm not going to get on that spiel right now because that could go for a long time. Um... But yeah, I'm glad to see Jetty figuring things out. I think we all are happy to see that. And I just hope it continues because I, you know, I wasn't Jetty's biggest advocate last year because we were a team that was contending for a championship. And he was a rookie that, I mean, didn't, he wasn't adjusted to NBA speed. And I didn't want to see him on the floor because I didn't think he could contribute. But now the circumstances have changed and I am a big advocate of Jetty Osmond. Now looking at our coveted rookie Colin Sexton um to be honest he's been about what I expected him to be um he's averaging about 14 points a game three rebounds and 2.8 assists per game on 38 percent shooting from the three-point line 40 percent from the field 2.8 um three-point attempts per game 84.6 percent from the free throw line um He's been pretty good attacking at the rim. He, he's definitely improved since college, finishing over bigs. I know that was a concern. Um, he didn't shoot a very high percentage when it came to contested layups, but I think he's definitely gotten better at that. Still has a long way to go, but it's at, it at least has gotten better since um, since his college days. The jump shot has been better than I expected. Like I said, he's shooting 84.6% from the free throw line and 38% from three, but it's only on 2.4 attempts per game, which isn't great. So you have to you have to take it for what it is. He's not taking six or seven threes a game. It's a very low number, but it is still, honestly, it's better than what I thought. I thought he was going to be in the 32 to 33% range. So I'm pleasantly surprised about that. Uh, his passing is worse than I expected, to be honest with you. I was hoping he was going to be around four, four and a half assists per game, but he's under three, for, and especially for a point guard, that is horrible. I I just don't know if his vision is there uh, to be an effective point guard in this league. I don't know if the game is still too fast for him, which, I mean, I don't, I'm not the type of person to make assumptions or write a person off or player off after their first season 
I, I mean, I want to wait till, you know, that first contract, his second contract's coming around. Um, yeah, he's, he's a two guard in a one's body. Like he's not much of a passer. I don't know. Again, I don't know if it's mentality or he just doesn't really have that ability. He's a high energy kid, which I mean, it's great when the ball uh, is loose, but he's out of control too often. He needs to be able to control that a little bit more. No, it leads to too many turnovers, too many wild shots, just empty possessions that this team cannot afford. He shows flashes of defensive potential, but at the same time, he is one of the worst rated starters and defensive efficiency rating along with Jetty. Those two are, I know Jetty's worst in the league and Colin's pretty darn close to being, uh, being down there too, but he's shown flashes, but it's definitely been underwhelming. I just think the whole totality of coming into the NBA and being, you know, he he got thrown in as a, in as a starter pretty early. Just it's going to take time. He's a he was a raw prospect coming out, and we all knew that. So it's it's going to take him time. Um, I love the passion he plays with. He's he plays hard all the time. He never quits. I think it relates really well to the city of Cleveland. And just that never quit attitude. That blue collar, um, just kind of chip on his shoulder. He always plays with. And overall, he obviously has a lot of room for improvement. I know it's a shocking, <laughs> a shocking point I came to there, but I think his ceiling, honestly, is a solid starter in this league. I, at, when he got drafted, I was being optimistic, and I thought maybe borderline All Star, kind of that Eric Bledsoe range. But I, I don't know if he'll get there. To be honest with you, I, I just don't know if I see it. I think he can be a solid player on a playoff team, but I don't know if he can be your first or second best player when you're trying to compete for a championship, you know, maybe he'll prove me wrong in, you know, six or seven years and be worth a max contract and all that stuff like that. But who knows that remains to be seen. And finally, we'll look to the future a little bit. The Cavs playing seller at the trade deadline. You know, the trade deadline is on February 7th, and the Cavs don't have a ton of time to do all the things I want them to do. There, are, there isn't a player on this team that isn't untouchable to me. If we can get good value for anyone, I'm open to doing it. Um, just whatever you can bring in to set up this franchise for success in the future, I am all for it. And whatever trade you do, you're going to have to bring in bad contracts. I know I saw people were talking about, you know, I don't want to make a trade unless we get draft picks and young assets and cheap contracts, stuff like that. But that's just not realistic. We're a bad team that's in uh, that's pretty locked up in cap as it is. So why not just bring on more bad contracts so we can get more draft picks? It's it's how the NBA works. It's a it's kind of a crappy reality, but that's what that's how you have to look at it. And we don't have any cap space until the summer of 2020 anyways so again why not just pile them on and get as many draft picks as possible now there are three players that i think that are as good as gone on this team this is alec burks ronnie hood and john henson all for kind of similar reasons first we'll start off with alec burks he's a six foot six shooting guard who can defend at a pretty decent rate he can give you 12 to 16 points off a bench and I think he could definitely contribute to a playoff team. He can lead the second unit. I think his time in Utah, it ended kind of on a sour note because he 
you know, got injured in Donovan Mitchell's surgeons, fell out of the rotation, and just didn't really get much of a chance after he got injured. Uh, I think we could definitely get a late first-round pick for him. I think he's worth that. And even, honestly, if we get two second-round picks, I'm not mad about it, just because I don't see him in this team's future. And also Rodney Hood, on another note, six foot eight wing. He's a long body. You can throw in front of someone. He's an okay defender. Uh, his playoff performances haven't been uh, haven't been great by any means. I think last year definitely hurt his value. But I saw on Twitter that the Warriors and the Raptors are willing to give up late first round picks, but they're waiting till uh, closer to the trade deadline. What I'm assuming they're looking for is maybe better deals or better upgrades they can make. And if they can't find those, you know, they call the Cavs, give a late first-round pick in, who knows, like 2021 and whatever money they have to to make it work. And, you know, I'm okay with that. Again, I want any asset back that I can get. And finally, John Henson. I know he hasn't played a game for the Cavs, and I don't think he will, to be honest. Because he does have a very tradable contract. I think he's making about $10.5 million uh, this year for only one year. So he's an expiring deal, which incentivizes you know contending teams to trade for him. He's a, he's a long center who can block shots, and every team needs that. Especially off the bench, you need a guy that can come and defend, um, give you, you know 20 minutes a game. And I think he could do that for a playoff team and I don't I like his fit with the Cavs but I'm not sure he's in our long-term plans so that's why I'm all for trading him and honestly this is I'm sad to say this but I'm I'm all in on trading Kevin Love I was one of the last people that wanted to trade him the last four years because he got unfairly scrutinized and he was an absolute punching bag for fans and media over the last four years and I felt really bad for him just because he didn't deserve all that. But I am all in on trading him now. I just don't see why or see how he fits in this team's future. I get it where Dan Gilbert and the front office were coming from by wanting to compete for the playoffs and keeping butts in the seats, I guess. Because, you know, he was on the championship team. He was a part of the big three that won the championship. He's the last one here. He was willing to sign a long-term extension with us, but he's he's a slow-footed, undersized four who isn't athletic and gets injured too much. <laughs> like I, That's not really what I want, especially on a rebuilding team. If we still had LeBron and even Kyrie, I'd be fine because they all work well. He complements the other three, but on as the main piece on a rebuilding team I I just don't like it and I I can't believe I fell into the trap of thinking this team was going to win 35 games this year especially after the injury to Kevin Love happened 4 games into the year injuries started to pile up and now our only playable bigs are a gimpy Larry Nance and anti uh anti Zizic it's <laughs> it's hard but I just I don't agree with the extension for Kevin Love because that makes him even less tradable than he already is. Because what team is going to want to pay a 30-year-old injury-prone defensive liability big who who you know, who is locked up for the next 4 years? I just I just don't see it happening. I think the trade market for him is a lot smaller than what Cavs fans want to accept and that's what sucks. Um 
I think in return, we're probably going to get a young player who quite hasn't lived up to their potential and is wanting like a change of scenery and maybe a couple, hopefully a couple first round picks. But honestly, I could see one first round pick and maybe some, it will have to be filler to make the money work, but maybe something like Charlotte is making a push to keep Kemba Walker and uh, they don't really see Malik Monk in their future. We get Malik Monk, whatever salary they have to throw in to make it work. And then like a top 10 protected first round pick. I know that sounds very underwhelming to most of you, but I just, I don't know what else we can get like from the Sixers or the Thunder or even the Trailblazers. They don't have any more assets that are more appealing than that, that they would realistically give up. Realism sucks, but that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to be as realistic as possible. And any any draft capital that we can get our greasy little hands on, that's all I want, really, just to try and put this team in the best position possible to succeed in the next three to five years. You know, I, I don't think as long as Dan Gilbert owns the team that we will reach that success point, but... Again, that's another topic for another day. I'm not going to get into that. So that does wrap up the podcast. I greatly appreciate all of you for listening, letting me invade your ear space today or tonight, whenever you're listening. And after the Mavericks game on February 2nd, I will be joining my friend Brian Zillum on the Blue Hardwood podcast to discuss my Luka experience, which I'm very excited about. So I will... Let you guys know when that goes up and stay tuned for the next episode. Have a good rest of your day or night, everybody. Thank you.